Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's, let's pray as we open up God's Word this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, for everything that You've done, Lord, this year, God. And, and we're still not done, Lord. Lord, we thank You because You didn't fail us, God. In the past... You didn't fail us in the present, Lord, and you're not going to fail us in the future. In fact, we put the future in your hands. We ask for all the children, Lord, of this ministry, Lord, that you would just bless them. We ask for all the sons and daughters represented in this room right now, God. Lord, even for Angel Tree, Lord, that you would bless it and bring the families to come out, Lord, and not only receive a physical gift, Lord, but also... The message, the greatest gift of all, Jesus. We thank you for this place because, Lord, you've provided a, a space, Lord, so that we can have Christmas Eve service. We pray, Lord, for the worship team that day, for the sound, for the children's ministry, for the ushers and the greeters, God. Everyone that's serving, Lord, and even us, as we invite family members and co-workers to come to church to listen to the message and to celebrate Christmas in Jesus' name. And together the church would say, Amen. Amen. We are at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to pick off in verse 6 all the way through 16 today. Titling the message of today, Paul's reliance on God's wisdom. One of the interesting things of, on why we study Corinthians, it's because God wants to change the way that me and you think. I want you to know that today and maybe take note of that. This is the reason why we have Corinthians. This is the reason why Paul wrote this letter out to the church in Corinth because he wanted to change the way that they thought. You know why? Because the church of Corinth had 50 philosophical lines now of thought, theory, and teachings and they were bringing those thoughts and theories and philosophy into the church. And they were mixing the two and it became problematic. You see, there's a problem where we try to live by the wisdom of the world and call ourselves Christian. We cannot do that. And what we learn today is that we have to live from the wisdom of God and from the wisdom of God's Word. And today's message and through text we learn that we are called to live according to the wisdom of God and according to the power of God. Because there's too many times where we want to live from the wisdom of the world or the power of the world, and that is not of God. In the first chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that he promotes a unity in the church where he says we are one church, not under Paul, not under Apollos, not under a person's name or denomination. We are one church under God. We are one church under God. And just like that, we learn that it's not a church under the world. It's a church under God. And in chapter 2, he intros it as he tells us that it's nothing but the cross. The message that he came to give is a message that is nothing but the cross. Why is that? Because sometimes we can mix the message with something else that's superficial, that doesn't change people's lives. You see, the message of Christ is not a message of entertainment. It's not a message of just education or a message of big words or impressive personalities, charismatic self-help 
motivational speakers, that does not change anyone's life. You see, what changes lives is the cross of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And in chapter 1 of verse 18, He tells us, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who are living a life of decay. The life of the cross or the message of the cross is foolishness because people will not live denying themselves of their desires. It's foolishness to people. But to us, it's the power of God unto salvation. Why is it the power of God? Because it's the power that snatches me and you from hell and from death. And that's why it's important to go to the cross. In fact, we studied last week why visiting Calvary, it's important. It answers the big question, does God love me? See, when you go to the cross, you, are, you know for certain that God loves you. Because at the cross, you see the biggest demonstration and picture of love there at the cross. That God loved you, willing to give up the most precious thing to Him, His Son. And that He would die on the cross for you and for me, so that we can have salvation. The biggest demonstration of love and sacrifice, it was ultimate. It was extravagant. It was ridiculous. And we see it there at the cross. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul tells us God demonstrated His love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That at the cross, Jesus died for the worst version of you and for me. He didn't die for the best version of ourselves. He died for the worst version of who we are in our sinful life of decay, lost in the world, in our selfishness. Jesus died for us even while we were sinners. And you know why the reason why people think that they don't need forgiveness is because they don't think that they have anything to be forgiven from. I don't need the cross. There's nothing that I need to be forgiven from. But it's when you go to the cross that you're convicted of your selfishness and know that the core of who we are is sinful. And we need this effective and we need this powerful message. Because I want to tell you something. Today we learn something important. And even through Corinthians we learn something very important. That there is nothing such as a secular Christian. And I want you to remember that today please. There is nothing like or such as a secular Christian. We cannot be living like the world and call it church. And the the, the church in Corinth was doing that. In fact, they were mixing the wisdom of the world, the philosophy and the teachings, the education of the world. They were bringing it into the church and they were mixing it with the Word of God and they were sold out to the world's wisdom instead of being sold out to the Word's wisdom. And that comes from God. You see, there's a problem when the church becomes inspired by the world. And through philosophy, they became inspired by the voices in the world. They became influenced by the voices of the world instead of inspired and influenced by the Word of God. The knowledge and the experience and the, the education that we have, we cannot let it become an idol. Because I tell you, sometimes we let that become an idol, education, experience, position, authority, title. It becomes an idol for us and we bring that into the church or into our lives and we try to mix the two and guess what? We become prideful and divisive. The wisdom of the world, it promotes one thing. The wisdom of the world promotes pride and division. But the wisdom of God promotes holiness and His Word. You see, there's a big difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. 
Either you're going to choose to live in the pride, the life, the, the pride of life and the wisdom of the world or the, or the wisdom of God that comes from holiness and His Word. And today we learn to depend on God's Word and depend on God's wisdom and not depend on the wisdom of the world. You know how we do that when we start to be full of ourselves? And we become selfish. The church has become selfish in such a way that it, it can become a, a sick epidemic because it's so full of self. But when we are emptied, we're, we refrain or we stop ourselves from deviating from Jesus. And here in chapter 2 from verse 6, he's going to open up telling us not to seek the counsel, to not to seek the counsel of the world, to seek the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because sometimes we let those voices of the world define our identity. I want to tell you, when you turn the TV on, when you look through your social media, now that that's so popular and, and prevalent in our culture, to not let those voices, opinions of culture define your identity. Your identity is found in God's Word and through His wisdom. There's so many iconic voices in our culture now that are idolized for their superficial and temporary passing advice. And you look at the talk shows that are taking place and people giving their opinions and, and others following and gravitating to them. That's the wisdom of the world. Does that attract you though? Does that tickle your ears a little bit? Does that make you feel good where it draws you to invest your time in listening to that? Or what attracts you? It has to be the cross, that the cross would be the main thing. In our lives, we have to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. Jesus. We can't let Jesus, we can't leave Jesus out. You can't give Jesus our leftover time. Give Jesus our leftover energy. Give Jesus our leftover resources. You see, Corinth was a place where they had mixed the two. They were wanting to live like the world in the church. You cannot do that. Even for us today in this season of Christmas, you cannot leave Jesus out. You cannot refuse. Jesus is a must if we're celebrating Christmas. How can you celebrate Christmas without Christ? Ask yourself that question. How is it that we gather with our families that has nothing to do with Jesus and then we title it Christmas? There's no way. If it's not about Jesus, then we can't call this Christmas. Let's just call this something else because we left it out. Just imagine if they, someone threw a birthday party for you, but they didn't even invite you to the birthday party. <laughs> and sometimes we do that in Christmas. Let's throw a birthday party for Christmas for Jesus but guess what? He's not invited because he come, becomes offensive if we talk about him in here. Then you call, don't call it his party then. Because it's not about him, it's about you. It's about our selfishness. It's about our sin. It's about the core pride that we live in and about the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is, is, is anti-Christ. The wisdom of the world is trying to take Jesus out every single day of our lives. And in verse 6, look what he tells us so clearly. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. He's saying, if you want to talk about wisdom, let's talk about wisdom to the believer, to those that know. Why? Because he wants to change the way you think, it says here now. You're not the wisdom of this age. Not the wisdom of this age. I'm not going to talk about the wisdom that is of this world, nor of the rulers of this age. I'm not going to talk of wisdom about any ruler of this world, Paul says, or about the wisdom of this world who are coming to nothing. And I want you to really remember that coming to nothing. Because the wisdom of this world is coming to nothing. It is passing the wisdom of 
this world. You see, why is he changing the way you think? Because the way you think affects everything. It affects everything. And we must protect our mind the way we think. The mind is the primary battleground for spiritual warfare. It begins in your mind. And if you start to think like the world, guess what? You will behave like the world. You will speak like the world. You will think like the world. We must protect our mind because it's the primary battleground of spiritual warfare. And you know what's the best way to protect your mind? It's to fill it with something stronger than that which you're fighting against. You want to protect your mind? Fill it, occupy your mind with something that's stronger than that which you're fighting against. Fill it with the Word of God. Fill it with prayer. You see, the best way to fight against the flesh is to feed the Spirit. The best way to fight against the flesh it's to feed the Spirit. Make the Spirit stronger. And that's how you fight the flesh. Here in verse 6, he tells us, I want you to know that we recognize wisdom, but we don't recognize the knowledge of the wisdom of the world. We're not going to acknowledge philosophy as a way of direction and, defi- and definition of our identity in our lives. That will not define us. We don't recognize that wisdom. We recognize the wisdom that comes from God, not the wisdom of the world. In fact, that wisdom is vain. That wisdom is prideful. That wisdom is coming to nothing. And it does not belong to you. Remember that church today please. That that wisdom doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the way that you think or live and speak. It's coming to nothing. It's passing away. That we're coming to nothing. It speaks of something that's so temporary. What did Jesus say? Heaven and earth will what pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. You can trust the Bible. You can trust His words. And sometimes we go after something that's so wise in this world. Something that's so attractive, something that's so appealing, that attracts our eyes, that attracts our minds, that if I can just look like that, that I can be there, if I can sound that way, I can follow that trend, that I will be now belonging in this world. You don't belong in this world, number one. You are not of this world. You know why the wisdom of God is the wisdom that we ought to use? And not of the world, because you are not of the world. What is he trying to tell them? Stop trying to be like the world. You're not like the world. Your number one identity is to know that you are not like the world and you are not from the world. You're not of it. We're in it, but we are not of the world. We have a new identity that's in Jesus. I like what D.L. Moody said. And he said something so powerful and I always remind myself of this. In fact, he said, our greatest fear should not be a failure. Sometimes we think our greatest fear is failure. Our greatest fear should not be a failure. Our greatest fear should be in succeeding in something that doesn't even matter. And just think about the wisdom of the world that promotes something that doesn't matter. That should be our greatest fear in succeeding in, in the world standards, something that doesn't even matter. In verse 7, he, now he's going to talk about now what he does speak about. He says, we don't speak and recognize the wisdom of the world. We recognize the wisdom of God in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God. In a mystery. This is amazing here in a mystery. It's a sacred secret. He calls it a mystery. That can only be known. A mystery can only be known by revelation. Isn't this amazing that God gave us his mystery. His word. That can only be known by his revelation. In fact he goes on in that verse. And he says it like this. The hidden wisdom or the sacred secret. Which God ordained before the ages. For our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. 
He said, the age, the rulers of this world did not know the wisdom or the mystery or the secret, that sacred secret of the wisdom and the plan of God ordained that we would know Him because it was revealed only by God. And if they would have known Him, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, you know what? I love that He calls Jesus the Lord of glory. Because although Jesus emptied himself of majesty when he came down to the earth, he emptied himself of his majesty, he was still fully God. Jesus was God here on earth. You see, the Trinity was explained even in this text today, that Jesus is the Lord of glory, that he is God, even being human. And one of the things that he's reminding us here, even in verse 9, as we continue, is that he reminds us is that God's wisdom, God's plan, Jesus now coming down to offer himself as a ransom for the forgiveness of our sins was revealed only by God. Not by their philosophy, not by the world's wisdom. Why is it important for us to know this? Because he wants to tell them, you don't qualify yourself. You're not qualified and you do not qualify yourself by the world's standards and by the world's wisdom. Sometimes we want to qualify ourselves by the world's wisdom. And he says, you know what, let me let you know that the mystery, the plan of God, you didn't figure it out on your own, because even though you think you're so smart. And sometimes we think we're all smart, that we don't need to help figuring out life. We do, we need God's Word, we need His Holy Spirit. And in verse 9, he goes on and he quotes, now Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, which says this, No, I have seen... Nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for those who love Him. He's talking about the nation here of Israel that has prophesied the rejection of the Messiah. That they themselves could not understand. Their eyes did not see, their ears did not hear, and the heart of man did not understand what those things that were prepared for Him. They were reading the scriptures, the prophecies. They were walking with Jesus, but they missed Jesus the whole time. Why? Because they were more concerned about what they could figure out on their own than being taught the scriptures by the Spirit of God. And that's exactly why sometimes we read the scriptures or the world sees the Bible and they don't get it because the Spirit of God, they have rejected it. They rejected Him. And the scripture says here now that their eyes, their ears, and the heart of man did not see and understand the mystery and the plan of God. Do you remember maybe at one time when you were living out a a life out in the world where maybe you heard the message and you thought it was foolishness. You thought it was comical sometimes. You thought that maybe I can't understand. My eyes don't see that. My ears, it does not sit well with me when I hear that message. Or my heart, it's so closed that you just did not understand. And it's speaking so clearly here. They did not know that because they weren't hearing by the Spirit of God. In fact, verse nine, as it would con- verse uh, nine, as it would continue, it said, "They did not enter the heart of man the things which God prepared for those who love Him." What did God prepare for those who love Him? For those who love Him, God prepared eternal life, but He prepared fellowship. And did that not understand that fellowship that they had to understand for those who love the Lord? Why? Because they rejected His Spirit. They rejected Jesus Himself. But in verse 10, it would speak to us now how we do understand the Scriptures. And I want to encourage you to really pay attention to these few verses because they're going to affect the way you read your Bible. Sometimes you read your Bible and say, you know what, I don't like reading because I don't get it. Every time I read, I I read like an entire whole column, two chapters, and then after I'm like, what did I read? (laughs) Or I read something and I don't understand it. 
Or oh, I feel like I've been praying for a long time and it's just, I prayed for a little while, right? Have you ever thought maybe you close your eyes and, and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and man, by the time you finish praying, you're all, man, that had to have been two hours. You look at your watch, it's been two minutes. And you're like, what's going on? I, I want more solid communion with God. You know how you get that solid communion with God through His Spirit? And that's what He's telling us. You want to understand God's Word and by His Spirit. That's why every time you open your Bible, before you even open it, Lord, I have here, I'm standing, sitting by Your Word, Lord. And as you open up these pages, Lord, I want You to give me understanding, enlighten me, give me the illumination through Your Holy Spirit so that the words of this page can speak to me, Lord. And that's why we need the Spirit of God. Guess what you start to do? You start to invite the wisdom of God's Word into your life. And now you have a healthy intake of the wisdom and will, the will of God's Word in your life. Why? Because you want to live off the wisdom of God. You don't want to live off the wisdom of the world, the standard of the world. It says, but God, verse 10, has revealed them to us through His Spirit. God revealed His plan to you through His Spirit. You know, one day our eyes were closed. We were blindfolded. We thought we can see, but we were blind in this world. We were being deceived. When you're blind, you don't know where you're going. You're being deceived. When your ears are covered, you cannot hear the truth. When your heart's closed, how can you let the Lord work in it? And that's why we have to let the Lord, ask the Lord, Lord, open my heart. Let my ears be open to the truth and my eyes to be able to see you, Lord. And that's exactly what happens here. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that teaches us more about God. It's what we really need. Sometimes we think, well, I need more experience. I need more education. I need to be approved by the world. You don't need that. You don't try to need to try to be like the world to be accepted before the Lord. In fact, you need to know His Spirit. And in verse, here at verse 10 it says, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. He wants to tell them, you want to know the deep things of God? You want to know the complex things of God? You want to study philosophy in life as you have been? You want to really learn what it means to live a way of life with true morals, values, and principles that are coming from God's Word? The deep things of God, not just superficial things, but the deep things of God that you need His Spirit. And he's teaching us this here in verse 10. And it searches, yes, the deep things of God so that you would understand the complex things that God wants for you to know about himself. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of that man which is in him. In verse now 11. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. What is he telling us here? Well, even in your own spirit, what know, who knows what you're thinking? Nobody knows what you're thinking, but your own spirit. Your own spirit knows your thoughts. Your own spirit knows what you want to do, what your desires are, what your struggles are, what you really are thinking, even though right now, only that person's spirit knows that person's thoughts. So likewise, only the Spirit of God can tell you now the thoughts and the plans of God, because that's the Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing that you get to know the spirit that's in God? Just like your spirit can only know your thoughts. Nobody else knows those thoughts. Only your spirit knows those thoughts. But God has shared his spirit with us so that we can know his thoughts, so that we can know his plans. The New Living Translation says this, No one can know a person's thoughts except that own person's spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. You want to know more about God, then go to His Spirit. 
You want to know more about Jesus, then go to the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches us the deep, complex things about God. And it supports the Trinity that He's telling us, get to know the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God will, will comfort you. The Spirit of God will counsel you. And the Spirit of God will convict you. There's three things that the Holy Spirit does. It comforts you. It, it, it then counsels you. It teaches you. But it also convicts you. You see, the Spirit of God, just to reach you three verses, when Jesus was going to send His Spirit, or the Spirit of God, His own Spirit, in the absence of Jesus, when Jesus ascended into heaven, He tells His disciples this when talking about His Spirit and why we need the Spirit of God. He says this, he says this If you love Me, keep My commandments, John 14, 15, and I will pray to the Father, and He will give you another Helper. The word Helper means Comforter. He's going to give you someone that's going to come and comfort you. That He may abide with you forever. It's just He's not going to leave you alone. The Spirit of truth, that's the Spirit of God. Whom He cannot receive, the whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. For He dwells with you and He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What does the Spirit of God's work does? It comes with you. It comes alongside of you. It comes inside of you. That's the Spirit that teaches you the wisdom of God. And the world cannot receive it because it doesn't know Jesus. The world cannot hear it. cannot understand the Spirit because it has not accepted the Son. And in John 14, 26, he says here, But the Helper again, which is the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father was sent in my name, He will teach you now. First He will counsel you, but He also will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of the things that I said to you. You know when you're maybe walking and you remember a verse, it's the Spirit of God speaking to you. Maybe you're going to go and you're being tempted to enter into that temptation and being tried and the Spirit of God comes and He stops you. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. It's now guiding you and convicting you of sin. In John 16, 8, it says here, and, and when He has come, speaking of the Spirit... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What does the Spirit of God do? Does, how does it give us the wisdom of God? It gives us the wisdom of God in three things. And I want you to remember these three things, please. It gives you the wisdom of God as it comforts you. It gives you the wisdom of God as it counsels you. And it gives you the wisdom of God as it convicts you. The Spirit of God gives you the wisdom of God as it comforts you, as it counsels you, and also as it convicts you. You're receiving the Spirit of God and the wisdom of God through that all. And then in verse 12, as we go on in 1 Corinthians 2, it says here, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. What's the Spirit of the world? The Spirit of the world is an antichrist spirit where it denies Jesus. It doesn't confess Jesus. What did Jesus say? If you don't confess me now, then I won't confess you in heaven. The spirit of this world de denies Christ, and the spirit of the world does not confess Jesus. But His own spirit in us now confesses Him before man. His own spirit within us bears the cross of Jesus Christ. And it says here now, we have not received not the spirit of the world. You're not supposed to be like the world. But the spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God doesn't keep any secrets. He gives you His spirit so that you know His plan and what He has freely given to you. Why? He uses His spirit to reveal Himself to you. And in every decision, this is why in every decision that you take, you have to pray, Lord... Let your spirit lead me. Why? Because I want to be counseled. I want to be comforted. 
I want to have strong convictions so that we as Christians can be spirit-led people. Not led by the world's wisdom, but led by the Spirit of God and the wisdom that comes from God. How do you make decisions in life? In, in fact, ask yourself that question. If in verse 12 it says that He's given us the Spirit so that we may know the things that have been given to us, then how do you know the things that haven't been given to you? How do you know that you're not tampering or, 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 or dealing with commitments that, that God has not given to you? That's exactly why we have to come to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, through your Spirit today, I want to make this decision. Not through the world's spirit, not through the world's advice, not through the world's opinion. Lord, counsel, comfort, and convict me today because I want to be a person that is under the control, under the influence, under the inspiration of the, your spirit, Lord. I want to be a spirit-led man or woman of the faith. See, others of the world don't understand when you say, man, the spirit led me to do this. They're going to think you're crazy. <laughs> what spirit, man? I don't see any spirits. I don't, and they'll start looking around. They'll be like, this guy's crazy now. He's seeing spirits and the spirit's leading. No, they don't understand that because they have not been saved. Because, but when you know the spirit of God through his word is teaching you and speaking to you and is leading you, guess what? You will be in God's perfect will and that's where you want to be. You don't want to be anywhere else. Verse 13, as it would say, there's these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to use this worldly form to try to teach spiritual things. I'm going to teach spiritual things to spiritual people or in spiritual ways and terminology that the Holy Spirit is teaching me. Why? Because he's reminding the church here of Corinth to not try to use a secular mind to live a spiritual life. Look, at, it says you're comparing spiritual with spiritual, not secular with spiritual, spiritual with spiritual. He keeps the consistency from the mind and the life. God wants to change the way you think because the way you think is the way you will live. And he's saying here, I'm going to compare spiritual with spiritual. I'm not going to take secular and try to make that spiritual. I will not do that. I'm going to use the spiritual to explain to spiritual people, he's saying here, to those of understanding. And in verse 14, look what he says. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. You know what the natural man is? The natural man, another word for natural, in fact, here, it, it, it talks about someone that is a materialist. That's the natural man. The natural man is someone who lives thinking that there is nothing beyond this physical life. That's the natural man. That looks at the temporary, doesn't look eternally, doesn't live for eternity. This is the natural man, the one that's apart from God, the one that's not a believer. In fact, we can even use this word, the unregenerate man. See, we are all regenerate in the Lord. You know what regeneration is? When we start to change, when you're born again, you're, the regeneration process begins. You are regenerate, right? The, the regeneration has started because you are born again, you are a new person. But the unregenerate man now, the one that's unsaved, the one that's apart from God, the one that has not been born again, that has a different mind, they will not understand why you live the way you live. Well, you want to go to, you need to go to church again? It's not even Christmas yet, you already want to go to church. Or you, you think you, I mean, you, you need to go on Easter, you need to go to a prayer meeting, or midweek you're, you're reading your Bible, you're protecting that time with you and God. They don't understand why you live your life this way. Why? Because you're living after the wisdom of God. You're not living after the standard of the world. That's why they don't understand. 
And we have to consistently remind ourselves, I'm not of this world. You go into a gathering, I'm not of this world. Go to work, I'm not of this world. You go to your, your, your friends and families, you know, uh, you know, maybe events, I am not of this world. I live off the wisdom of God. I don't live off the wisdom of this world. I don't have to approve what they approve. I don't have to laugh at what they laugh at. I am guided. I am under the control, inspired, governed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives in me. Imagine if we all t- take ownership of that, that wherever you walk, you know, I- I'm walking in here, and as I'm walking in here, the Spirit of God lives in me right now. The Spirit of God's about to walk into this place because it lives in me, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me right now. That is power right there. Think about testimony. Because look what he's saying here. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. <laughs> that is foolishness. They don't understand it. They don't get it. Nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that word discern means that they cannot receive them. They cannot welcome them or apply them to their life because they're spiritually discerned. They cannot recognize or interpret these things. Why can't they recognize or interpret or tell the difference? Because they're not born again. They don't get it. And sometimes people will not get it. They cannot see the value. They can't see the value. They think that it's a waste of time when you, know, you could be having more fun, when you could be making more money, when you could be spending more time. They think it's a waste of time. You know why they don't get it? Because they have not accepted the Lord as Savior in Jesus Christ. They're unregenerate. You see, I remember when in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, when, when Peter goes up to Jesus and, and Jesus is telling him, you know what, I am going to be betrayed when we go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter goes up to him and he says, he tries to rebuke Jesus and says, Jesus, you're not going to do that. We love you, Jesus. And he tells him, what do you, stop talking all these discouraging things, Jesus. Every time you talk, you start talking to us, you start saying all these downer, negative, discouraging things. Just stop for once and for all, Jesus. We don't want to hear that. And you know what Jesus tells him? He didn't say, you know what, uh, Ah, you know, I'm sorry I offended you with the message of the cross. <laughs> he says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and I think that's sometimes what we need to do. We come out with the message of the cross and the world says, that's offensive. Jesus, that's offensive. Don't say Jesus. You can say God. You can say higher being. Do not say Jesus because that's offensive. Because he's saying that if I don't believe in him, then I'm going to go to hell. That's offensive. That's the truth. The, the truth hurts. The facts hurt. I heard a saying recently, facts do not care about your feelings. And sometimes we think, you know what, our fe- we have to protect our feelings. But the facts, the truth, they do not care about the feelings. Whether your feelings agree with it or not, that it does not matter. Jesus is the only way. And this is what we're learning here. He turned, he said behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. You think I'm offending you? You're offending me. <laughs> because you don't want to accept the cross. And he says, you are not mindful of the things of God, but you're mindful of the things of man. You know why Peter didn't understand? Because his mind was on the temporary, it wasn't on the eternal. And that's why he did not understand that day. But when our eyes and our mind are on the eternal, we can understand that his plan is for eternity. And the cross is so that we can know eternity. You see in verse 15, as it would go on, but it says, but he who is spiritual judges all things. That word judges all things It's a very important word because it says when you're spiritual, when you have a spiritual mind, you can discern, you can distinguish. That's what judge means. When you have a spiritual mind, you can distinguish between right and wrong. You can distinguish between truth and false. You know sometimes why we can distinguish? Because our mind and our spirit is blurred 
by the wisdom of this world. We were mixing the two. And now we can't even tell the difference. You can't tell the difference of the truth if you're mixing the two now. Because you have them all mixed up together. That you don't hear yourself are confused. But it said here, the spiritual judges all things. You can discern now. You can evaluate. You can separate. You can apply. You can evaluate rightly. Here it says, in verse 15, judges all things for he himself is rightly judged by no one. What does it say he himself is rightly judged by no one? Because we ourselves, as we have been regenerate now, as we have now accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot be looking for the advice of the world. And he says, you cannot be judged by the world's standards. You cannot be judged by the world. And sometimes we look to be judged and recognized or separated or discerned or acknowledged by the world. It says, the world can't judge you because they don't understand you. They don't understand why you live the way you live. They don't understand your values, your morals, your principles of life. Your priorities, they do not understand them. And that's why it says, He was spiritual judges, recognizes all things, because the blindfold has been taken off, and you recognize, you discern now, between truth and false, that He Himself is rightly judged by no one. You see, we have to know that we cannot be looking to be judged, or to be recognized, or to be validated on the wisdom and the standard of the world, because that's not the wisdom and the standard that we live by. And it says here, verse 16, as we end, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that they may instruct Him? You know why he goes back to this and says this, Who knows the mind of the Lord? Who do you think you are, that, you, that us as the world, that we can teach God, that we think that we can bring some higher teaching that can take us to the Lord? And that's why it's so sad when, when we think that our education can, can make us approve, that, that we have arrived. You don't arrive just because the world likes you. In fact, if everybody in the world likes you, then there's a problem. Because you're living just like them. You look just like them. You don't live for that approval or that, that standard or, or, or so that we can be acknowledged. It says, who can know the mind of the Lord? Who can instruct Him? He's saying, he's speaking now here from also Isaiah. Who can absolutely teach God? You think you could teach God something? You can't teach God anything. He is God. And it says here, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We don't have the mind of this world. What does He do? He wants to change the way that you think. Because the way that you think will affect everything about you. You see, are you thinking the way of the world? Or are you thinking the way and have the mind of Christ? What did, in Romans chapter 12, what did we learn? That you would have the renewing of the mind. As you lay your life down for the Lord, let the Lord, Lord take my mind and my heart. Because what I do in my mouth, what I say with my, what I do with my life, it started in my mind. And the only way of, of, of fighting now the flesh in your mind is by feeding the Spirit. By filling your mind with something stronger than that which is that you're fighting for. You're not of this world. John 15, 19, it says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. When the world loves you, it's because you look just like them. Yeah, because you're not of the world, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, I chose you out of them and from them, the world hates you. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, the world hates you. <laughs> and the message is true. Sometimes you want to say, Man, the world loves me. If everybody in the world loves you, it's because you're not standing up strongly for your convictions. I know family members that, 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 that don't like me sometimes. Not, not because I've said something mean, but because they know that the values and the principles that, that I stand for are biblical. 
And, and when you know that someone stands for biblical values, guess what? It becomes offensive to them sometimes. Why? They don't understand. They don't understand that, that my life and your life, our lives as a church, as a Christian body has been taken over. We are not of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. You see, the disciples had the mind of Christ to the point that they had to die for that cause. So don't be surprised, especially now as we get together with our family members, and, and maybe they do not accept you because of that. Praise God, because that means that you don't have that mind. Praise God, because that means that you're more like Jesus than like the world. In John 17, verse 16, it says, They are not of the world. Jesus is praying for His disciples. He says, They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You want to be sanctified? You want to be holy in your mind? They're not of this world. You know what you want to be sanctified by? By the word of God. Consuming the word of God. Taking the word of God in your mind. Filling your mind with the Word of God that wherever you go, you can discern between right and wrong. That you don't have to mix the world's standards with the Word's standards. And understand, I need to change the way I think. Because the wisdom of this culture and the wisdom of this world has its own agenda. And that agenda is contrary to the Word of God and the wisdom of God. We're called to live by the wisdom and the power of Jesus Christ and not of the agenda that the world and the culture in this age and the rulers of this age want. Why? Because we're called to be influenced and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word, Lord, that reveals to us, that tells us, God, that we are not, we ought not to think like the world. That the wisdom that we ought to seek is not the world's wisdom, but it's the Word's wisdom. We thank you because we can rightly recognize and separate, Lord. And the reason why we need your Holy Spirit, your Spirit, is so that we can be comforted. Maybe today we need comfort. Your Word says that you would not leave us as orphans or alone, fatherless, but your Holy Spirit would father us. We thank you, Lord, for the fathering that your Holy Spirit does, that your Holy Spirit raises us in the right way. And I pray, Lord, maybe today we needed that, that touch, that form of a, of a fathering, Lord. That comfort. They would come from the Holy Spirit, God. That it would raise us up the right way. Lord, not only that, but your Spirit would also counsel us. Sometimes we look for counseling. We're going through a situation in life. We look for counseling and advice. And every advice and counsel we get from the world is off. It teaches us pride, it teaches us division, but the wisdom that comes from your spirit, it unites, it glorifies you, God. I ask, Lord, today, Lord, we would not only be comforted, but also that we would be counseled. We come for counseling today, God. We come for marriage counseling. We come for parenting counseling. We come for counseling in our own lives, Lord. Lord, that you would counsel us right now through your spirit. It would teach us, Lord. But we don't want to stop there, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort. We pray, Lord, that you would counsel. But Lord, I also pray that you would also convict. Convict us, God, that we would have strong convictions. That our convictions would not be weak. That we wouldn't try to fit in. That we would not try to blend in, God. 
Lord, we are called to, to stand out and be a light. And it starts with the wisdom that comes from your word as it is revealed to us by your spirit, Lord. And so today, Lord, we ask God for comfort. We ask for counsel and we ask for conviction.